Hello, everybody, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. I am the critic who is a cynic. How is everyone doing this evening? Happy and blessed Saturday, blessed feast of St. Stephen, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. Tonight is episode 400 and what, 462, I believe. Let me go ahead and double check that. I am a bit all over the place tonight as I was rushing to get things just set up and started just so that we could make sure to have a smooth opening. 462. So welcome to episode 462 of the Welcome to Asgard podcast, where tonight we're going to talk about the Equalizer 3 box office, how it is looking pretty good, especially when you compare it to the other films in its franchise, how Barbie has now officially passed the entire worldwide gross of the Super Mario Brothers movie, and it is not done yet. So let's just say there is quite a, a good chance that the movie makes vastly more than what the Super Mario Brothers film made earlier this year. And even though I think some people have already kind of written off the chance of it being able to catch the likes of something like a Top Gun Maverick, even that, I have to say, at this point in time, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, at least according to the numbers that we currently have. Obviously, there's still a lot of things that could potentially happen, but with not a whole lot of box office competition and with consistently strong drops, it's just not looking like there's a whole lot that's going to be slowing this film down. So we'll go ahead and we'll do a comparison chart as well, comparing it to the Top Gun Mavericks, uh, domestic numbers, international numbers, where it's looking as far as the day-to-day is concerned. And we will do all that breakdown here. We also will be talking about, and it's sad that we are going to be talking about it, but it is box office news, and so I'm kind of kind of compelled to talk about it, and that is the Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert which is being released in theaters, already having sold $26 million worth of pre-sale tickets. What I think that means for the opening weekend of the film and what it means for the box office in general, not to mention the the state of, of humanity. Before going any further, though, please make sure you smash that like button. Light up that fire button. Obviously, smash the rumble button as well. And let's go ahead and say hello to our people who are in the chat tonight. First off, Kinkane Rumshki coming in hot with a comment over on Rumble saying, which Taylor Swift song is your favorite? <laughs> you act as if I know her uh, her songs or that I somehow know her discography. Is it called discography? I know that for movies, it's filmography. Is for, for music, is it disco- d- discography? Something like that. I, either case, yeah. Again, I know a couple of songs simply because they became pop culture memes. Uh, the, sh- the Shake It Off song is one that I know of. The one that I think is probably my favorite is not her version, but rather it's, I think, a song called Trouble, but it features goats screaming. And that about, I think, really fits to what I think of that music overall. <laughs> the fact that I would prefer a screaming goat to, to the actual song and to the actual music. If you've never seen that song before, I highly recommend it. It is hilarious. Anyway, King and Rumsky, thanks for hanging out over on Rumble. We got General Wingster, who was here at 346. He was here early today, saying, But Odin the Equalizer is led by a black man. A black man! I'm not supposed to like those. Yeah, isn't it amazing how when the narrative does not actually fit, right? Or rather, when, when the box office and when things in our culture and things that are going on in the news don't fit a certain narrative, you don't hear about it a whole lot. Not to mention, whenever those types of things are brought up, specifically with someone like Denzel Washington, he's a lot quicker to kind of just, you know, say, all right, just enough of that, right? <laughs> no no more of that nonsense. He kind of reminds me a little bit of someone like a Morgan Freeman, for instance, too. And obviously, this doesn't mean that in any way that they're 
somehow that much you know better or somehow that much more prolific in in political discourse but the fact that they are much more likely to say i'm going to focus on my craft i'm going to focus on promoting my film or promoting the story behind the film versus getting involved in in political wars at least from my own experience of of you know listening to them and and seeing some of the truth bombs that they like to kind of drop on i think it was morgan freeman who's most well known for his his conversation about why in the world do we have a black history month Right. And I don't know. I don't think necessarily that Denzel Washington has the same, you know, as far as like uh, comments. Right. As far as what they're most well known for in any of the quote unquote culture war stuff. But it is just, again, so refreshing to see a film with Denzel Washington. I have seen Equalizer 3 the reviews up on the channel. And, and the long and short of it is that it's just a solid movie. It's nothing revolutionary. It's not going to change your mind if you didn't like the previous installments of the franchise. But if you like those, and if you're also someone that maybe likes a little bit more of a, I guess, somewhat grounded, obviously it's not grounded in reality, again, just the basic narrative itself, you're like, okay, I'm obviously buying into this being not only possible, but also actually happening in front of me, as most films do, of course. But I also believe that it has a sense of seriousness to it that the other films don't, right? Whereas the other films... They, again, I think they're also well-written, and I think they also have some really good narratives and some interesting narratives and storytelling that that you know that goes throughout the film and is threaded throughout the films and throughout the narratives of the films. But I don't I know. For some reason, for this movie, the, the fact that there is a sequence where it's just him recovering, and it's just the day in his life, right? It's just a series of days where he's just doing normal stuff. That, to me, is something that I appreciate, and when a film can do that and can do that well, and a huge benefit to this movie was that they shot on location in some of the most beautiful parts of, of Italy that they could actually shoot for a movie like this, it was great. It, it honestly was. And uh, and I think that a big part of that is, getting back to Denzel Washington, a big part of it's him because he's a fantastic actor and he's an actor. Right? He is a true actor in every sense of the word. Right? He is someone that has gone through so many different stages and so many different steps in his career and he has not once, at least again, from what I have seen, decided to ever go down craziness routes you, you look back for instance at someone like a jennifer lawrence right everyone knows j-law now but i remember back when she was in a little film called winter's bone that that put her on the map right that that helped get her the role if i'm not mistaken got her the role for the hunger Games series right that that was the movie that got people's attention on her because she gave a very good very raw performance and then her of course she got big because of hunger games she got a lot of other big roles with big directors and that's when you start to see a kind of spiral into the person that we know as J-Law today, right? You never really saw that with Denzel Washington, or at the very least, he never really made it clear that that was something that had ever impacted or had ever affected him. So that's, again, one of the many reasons why he is, I think, one of the best working actors right now. He consistently gives great performances in the films that he does, and in many ways, he elevates a lot of these films, I remember he was in that movie Fences, which was an adaptation of a Broadway production. And honestly, as a film, it didn't really work a whole, a whole lot, right? It really didn't work as well as a film. The whole time I saw it, I said, I would much rather have seen this and watched this as a play instead. But because he was in it, I think he actually did that one with Viola Davis, who's also a very talented actress, though she sometimes can get a little bit more vocal, I think, on certain things. Can't take away from her talent, though. At the very least, she has not allowed for any of the stuff she does outside of her films to impact her acting, right? We see a lot of these other, especially younger actors, they go crazy and then their performances actually suffer because of it because they're not really focusing on their craft as much. 
So that, that the reason why that film though worked, Right Fences, was because of people like them, especially because of Denzel Washington, because he was able to elevate it into something more than it ever could be. Book of Eli, I think, is the same way. On paper, it was a movie that I was like, okay, I really don't care about it, but what sold me on it was the performance given by Denzel Washington. And I think that's why the equalizer works too. It's not because the story is great. It's not because the story is revolutionary by any means. It's because Denzel's making it work. So anyway, I know that was a a lot of conversation on that one comment, but I do think it's important nonetheless just to talk about just how great of an actor he is. We don't talk nearly enough about the actors that are doing it right. We're very quick and for obvious reasons, we're very quick to be critical of the ones that, you know, step in it as it were. We're not nearly as quick to, you know, to basically try to shine a light on the ones that are doing it right, the ones that are actually working hard, the ones that are actually, you know, providing some really great content. Let's see, we got Lance Mala. What's going on, Lance? He says, quick wrestling talk. Did you see AW All in London? If so, your thoughts about the show and all the drama that followed? Uh, Yeah, I did actually get a chance to see it, Lance. And overall, I thought it was a pretty good show. I thought by far the best match of the night, uh, at least from from what I can remember in this quick moment of, of memory, was the Adam Cole match, right? The Adam Cole uh, and uh, MJF match. I thought that there was a lot of great drama in that. I thought that it was very good storytelling. There was also some great wrestling. The spot in that match when Adam Cole drops MJF on his head on stairs, I still don't quite understand how they got and pulled that off without anyone seriously injuring themselves. Because in either case... Either wrestler is going to have to be taking the brunt of that hit. And that's to me, I'm like, okay, I don't see how either of them did not get hurt from that. The person either taking the hit or the person who was, you know, shielding the person from the hit, right? Either MGF taking the hit or Adam Cole, who was, you know, probably most likely trying to soften in some way. But that that spot seriously was very impressive. And there was a lot of really great moments in in that show, too. As far as the drama that followed, I don't really follow a lot of that stuff. I just know that apparently CM Punk is now in further deep water. Uh, it, it just doesn't really surprise me. And here's the thing. Beforehand, I was all on CM Punk's side like on a lot of this stuff. I'm like, oh, this is probably a lot of hot air being put out by people that are jealous. But a big part of that is because he, in my mind, was still going to be able to deliver. Right, He was definitely not as great as he once was when he had his first run back before he got injured. But even since then, and especially since he came back now the second time, he just doesn't have it anymore. Like Honestly, his matches don't look good at all. He does not make himself look good. He does not make anyone else look good. So anyway, hopefully that, that makes some sense. And that is our wrestling talk from uh, for the night from Lance Mala. Uh, Orange Chat Reviews, who is our King Mod, Orange Chat, laying down the law. I do fall sometimes 20 to 40 minutes behind in the chat. Do not worry if you put at Odin, the very beginning of comment, at Odin. That lets me know that you're trying to get my attention, and I do read your comments. Of course, if you are a YouTube member, one of the perks of being a member at any level is that you don't have to worry about tagging me, though I do ask that if you can, please do, and if not, tag someone else, so that way I at least know you're talking to someone else uh, in the chat, especially since I do fall behind. Ryan Liu, what's up? How much will the Eras Tour movie make opening weekend? Here's the thing. It is impossible to predict that at this point because it's already had 26 million in pre-sales. The issue, especially when it comes to the Taylor Swift Eras concert, is the fact that it's not getting released until October. So it's already sold $26 million worth of tickets from, here's the thing, from one theater chain, AMC, of which there are less than 1,000 screens. So that's already a huge per theater ratio in and of itself. 
and it does not come out until October 13th. So it had $26 million sold in a single day. So what that tells me is, one, the price of movie tickets being as high as they are, but also, two, that clearly Taylor Swift has a lot of Swifties, as I like to call them. I think that's what they call themselves, maybe. But apparently there's a lot of Swifties, and they want to go see the movie. And being a teacher, being especially in the high school level, I know there are a lot of Swifties in that high school demographic. So I can't say I'm that surprised. Can't say that I'm, I'm necessarily happy. <laughs> I can't say that it gives me a lot of hope. But, you know, it is what it is. Nick Brown, what's going on, brother? Hail to you. Keely Chow in the chat. What's up? Joey Horn, who is a member on the channel. Thank you very much for being here today. You are awesome. Let's see. Keely asks, how are you, Baby Thor and Freya doing? Baby Thor is still trying to fall asleep. It always takes him a long time to fall asleep. Uh, but he's otherwise doing great. Uh, the Lady Freya is also doing fine as well. Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, how about a hockey player? What is going on? Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, thank you for being here. Keely Chow, thank you for noticing. Yes, it is a pretty awesome Star Wars shirt. Got this from the in-laws for, I believe, Christmas one year. So, of course, now Baby Thor loves it because he's a huge fan. Matt R., what's going on, brother? Welcome back. Fox One, what is going on? Gary Banjo Savage Worthington, watch One Piece series. OMG, it's great worth a watch. That's interesting. Yeah, I remember when it was first coming out. I don't know why, at least in the back of my mind, I had thought that the early reviews were not positive. I don't know why. Maybe there's some people that are being critical of it. But today, I was on the Salty Nerd podcast earlier. By the way, shout out to and happy early birthday to Matthew Kadish. Good, good friend of the channel. Love the Salty Nerd crew. And so they were cele- we were celebrating his, his birthday a day early today since we we're already doing the Saturday Salty podcast stream. But I remember that came up in that discussion. So, yeah, apparently it's good. So I, I know nothing about One Piece myself. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some that are going to be swearing by the the original manga. I'm sure that there's going to be some that will say, I've read the manga and I've enjoyed the show. So maybe I'll give it a shot at one point, but we'll have to wait and see. Let's see. Orange Hat says, Didn't Taylor Swift do some sort of witchcraft ritual during one of her concerts? I have no interest in her or her foolishness. Her music never grabbed my interest either. I don't know about that, so I will not say one way or the other if that is the case. Wouldn't surprise me, but also I cannot really confirm that as I don't follow her or news about her on a daily basis. But what I can say is, yeah, her, her music is definitely not something that that I'm drawn towards. I, I typically have not necessarily a rule. It's more of like an unwritten rule where... If there's somebody who I've seen perform, again, not necessarily that I've seen personally perform live, but I've seen videos of them performing live, if I don't think that they are as good as what comes out of the radio, what comes out of the CD or the disc, guess what? I have very little interest in you. Uh, If you can't actually perform your music live and you can't actually sound as close to possible as being the, the exact same, I think a great example... One of the best concerts I ever went to was actually uh, Aerosmith. Uh, I remember I went back, I went with my my family. This was when I was, I think, a teenager. So either a teenager or was, you know, in my early 20s. And it, it was an awesome concert because we could tell that they were clearly playing live because it's not studio quality perfect. But when I was listening to those vocals, I'm like, dang, that sounds pretty darn close. Pretty darn close. And so the videos that I have seen, again, I haven't seen a whole lot, and it's been many years since I even looked at any of the live footage of a Taylor Swift concert, let alone song. It just didn't sound that good. It just didn't sound that that impressive. So, anyway, I'm clearly not an expert on her, but 
that's a big factor for me. If you can't perform live, then you can't really perform, in my opinion. Uh, Favorite Sci-Fi, what's going on, brother? Thanks for being a member here on the channel. Uh, Anton K47, welcome back. Orange Chat says, and my theater is sadly showing her movie thing too. I can't say I'm surprised. Again, it's probably going to be playing in most major cities, and then after that, it kind of is going to be probably hit and miss. I, I know that it's going to because students have already talked about you know buying tickets for it, so I already know that it's going to be playing at least at one of the local theaters near me. But oh boy. Let's see, Grumko Tharaka, thank you very much for the super sticker donation with the cup. It, and again, it almost looks like a cup. It's supposed to be like a cup of coffee, but the way it looks with the red, it's like, is that a mug of, of wine? That's certainly what it looks like. Lance Mala, thank you very much, man, for becoming a member at the Citizen of Asgard level. Appreciate you doing that, good sir. Yeah, I recently updated my membership, so now at the Citizen of Asgard level, you get access to the library of... OMB podcast that I've already uh, done, featuring the likes of John the Flickpick Flickinger for the vast majority of them. And more recently, you will see episodes featuring uh, Carrie Smith, the amazing Carrie Smith, and Michelle, a force of light entertainment. So I have now moved that to the $1 tier. So at, at $1, you get access to that and also access to any of the upcoming episodes, including the ability to add to the Q&A post, and we will answer any and all questions on that Q&A post. So stay tuned to that. It will all be posted in the community tab on YouTube. All right. Let's see. Bruce agree. Book of, Book of Eli is great. And again, a big part of it is because of him. Psychotic Mongoose, what is going on? General Wingster says, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan because I'm twenty because I'm a 25-year-old girl. <laughs> it seems to be a rule. And actually, you know, correction there, General Wingster. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan because I'm a 25-year-old white girl. Probably would be more accurate if I had to guess. Based on the likely demographics. It's not the rule, obviously, but <laughs> let's see. King Kane Rumsky over on Rumble says, I don't think J Law got her gigs like Hunger Games based on her acting ability. If you know what I Okay, all right, King Kane Rumsky. I do th- I think I see what you're saying. I'm gonna stop you right there though, because I disagree. I, I really honestly disagree. Because if you have seen Winter's Bone, you know she actually does have talent. If you've not seen Winter's Bone, then watch it and then come back and talk with me, all right? Because obviously you can have a differing opinion on that movie than I have, but she gives a great performance. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think she even got an Oscar nomination that year. Like, her first Oscar nomination was based off, like, the first big film that she ever got. Big as far as, like, who she was working with. So, no, trust me, she has, and that's not giving credit at all to the Oscars, but at least that was at a time when they weren't completely off the rails yet. You know, they, they were mostly off the rails, but they weren't completely off the rails. And that was actually a decision when I saw the movie. I'm like, hey, you know what? She gave a great performance. She did a very good job in that. So ultimately, they do want to say, right? They do make those decisions. For movies like Hunger Games, I think the one thing that we can say is that they absolutely do not just take acting consideration into account. A big part of it is going to be, you're going to be the face of a franchise. Therefore, we have to be able to sell your face. I know that you're probably indicating something else, Kinkan Ramsky, but I actually disagree with that because ultimately, if you can't sell a face of a person for a franchise, right? If you cannot actually actively expand and, and and be able to use a person, and obviously there's a reason why the face is called the moneymaker in the movie industry, you're not going to have a franchise. You're not going to be able to to really build much of anything. So, anyway, hopefully that that uh, answers that, Mr. Rumsky, over on Rumble. <laughs> 
Let's see, Rob D. Tyler say, hello, Odin. Can't wait to see what fact-twisting Tony from Deadline will have for us tomorrow. Well, I'm sure that Tony is going to be focusing most of his time and attention on on the Taylor Swift stuff. It would not surprise me if Tony is a Swifty. Would not surprise me at all. Uh, let's see, Marshall J. too. Thanks for being a member on the channel. Says, so glad to see you today. Is Barbie going to hit $1.4 billion this weekend? Yes. Um, in fact, we'll go ahead and just jump right into those numbers because it is again it is essentially already there um so if not by this weekend and based on the numbers that we have in front of us it's likely um then at least in the next few days so let's go ahead then and talk about that and let me pull up my news report screen there we go so talking about our first story which is uh, at least we're going to be starting with this as our first story Barbie overtakes Super Mario Bros. as number one film of 2023 worldwide. Yes, indeed. So not only is Barbie the highest grossing domestic film of 2023, it is now also the highest grossing film worldwide of this year. The only film it had left to be able to take down was the Super Mario Bros. film, which came out earlier this year, and it has officially dethroned it. As it goes on to say, this is Nance, good old Nance over at Deadline. The two seemingly unstoppable phenoms of summer 2023 are each setting new milestones this weekend, as Greta Gerwig's Barbie through Friday has become the number one film of the year globally, overtaking the Super Mario Brothers film with $1.365 billion. So that's as of Friday. So that's why I do think that it will have it has a good chance of getting to $1.4 billion this weekend, because if $1.365 is what we are seeing by Friday... Domestically, internationally, we're going to see it continuing to continue to add on more and more. So it's going to either get to 1.4 or get pretty darn close to 1.4. And it's obviously at some point going to cross that. The big question ultimately for this movie is, where does it stop? Does it, does it stop at 1.4? Does it stop at 1.5? I mean, we're looking, and I've said this for a while now, that 1.4 to 1.6 is a likely endpoint for the film. And it's looking like it's going to get at least to that bottom frame. But it's also not done. We'll go into some individual numbers in a second. Uh, but I do want to say at the same time that Oppenheimer is also doing very well. In the same breath, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, this frame, is continuing its ter- its incredible run with the Universal title set to pass $850 million through Sunday. So there's been some talk, some people speculating, could it get to a billion? And that's one of those things where, is it possible? Sure. Is, is it probable? I don't personally think so. I just don't think that there is enough money left in the market to push it to that. But hey, I have been wrong before. It does happen. I am human. But if you had to ask me right now, I don't think that's going to happen, though. Never say never. For Warner Brothers, Barbie is playing 75 in, in 75 overseas markets and through Friday has grossed $763.3 million. So $763.4 million. The Living Doll's top five offshore plays through yesterday include the UK, where it's made over $100 million, $50 apiece in Australia and Mexico and Germany, and then $46 million in France. So the film is doing very well. Going into the actual numbers, as you can see, for those Thursday, uh, sorry, for those Friday numbers, Equalizer 3, I guess we can kind of combine two stories here. Equalizer 3, $13.1 million. So clearly... This film is making a lot more money than any of the other films, right? Even compared to Barbie, $3,300 per screen versus 697 Though, of course, it is the 43rd day of Barbie's release, and so can't say that it's all that surprising. But Equalizer 3 clearly is going to be the winner for this weekend, but still $2.5 million, $2.5 million, so that's a 38% drop from where it was last week. 
And from the previous day, I believe that's what that's trying to say, it's a 92% increase. So again, pretty, pretty good numbers there. Still making 697, sorry, almost $700 per screen, which is almost, you know, a little less than double of what the next film in that ranking has, which is Gran Turismo. By the way, Gran Turismo is not in the title of this video. And the reason why is because this film is falling off a cliff, 82%. Now, I think that a good argument to be made is that, well, that's what happens, Sony, when you, in your opening weekend numbers, add in the, you know, the week-long premieres that you had, right? You, you include that in your opening. Okay, it's going to make your opening look bigger. It's also going to make your week two drop-off look a heck of a lot bigger, too. So, based on this, again, Gran Turismo not looking good box office-wise, despite the fact that it's one of the better films to come out this year. And then, of course, it doesn't matter how strong Blue Beetle's holds are, it's just not making enough money in any of the various markets, Oppenheimer, of course, doing okay there too. Looking at the actual films themselves, Equalizer at 13.1 million. Again, pretty, pretty darn good. We'll go ahead and do this live because we love doing things live here over at OMB Reviews, uh, doing a bit of a comparison. So keeping in mind, right, opening weekend, right, still has yet to be written. Right now, they're projecting the film in its four-day opening to get, you know, $45 million or so plus. And I believe close to the amount of money made here. So even though these are numbers that are unadjusted for inflation, the fact is is that it's looking like it's either going to hit the same opening weekend as the previous installments, at least domestically, and possibly even have more. And the reason why that's important is because what that means is that domestically, you're about keeping your audience, you're roughly keeping the same audience and possibly growing it. For any franchise movie, that's a very important thing. Because if that is what your opening weekend looks like, as long as you have very similar drops and very similar performances down the line as your other films... And that opening weekend is definitely a better indicator or a pretty positive sign, right? A pretty decent indication that you're probably going to see similar numbers if you're seeing similar numbers, in at least in that respect. Hey, guess what? That means Equalizer 3 is likely going to have about as much, if not more, than the others. And that would make sense too, right? The first film made $192 million. The second film, $190 million, right? So very, very close numbers there. Adjustment for inflation still would put it within striking distance as, as about four years apart for at least those first two movies. Domestically, the first, uh, the second film made more. Again, just for inflation, it would probably be roughly the same. So, again, a very, very good sign, a healthy sign for that as a franchise. So it hasn't grown exponentially. We, we saw, especially if you look at the numbers for a film franchise like uh, John Wick, it doubled its audience with every single film except for the last one. But even then, it still actually did uh, better than what had initially been expected. So Equalizer doing very, very well this opening weekend. Uh, going back to Barbie, though, talking about comparisons. So first off, let's go ahead and talk uh, about this one first, actually. So Super Mario Brothers, So as you can see, the numbers over at the numbers has not uh, fully updated at this point. But Super Mario Brothers, $1.359 billion, $1.347 billion. So I think that when you look at the numbers that are being reported here, right, it says right here that it's past $3.65 billion that had been made, that was made, rather, by Super Mario Brothers. So, again, it is not updated to that point, but that is very impressive, right? That means that it's absolutely passed and will get even close to $1.4 billion this weekend. But also look at the domestic international numbers here, right? 600 to 574, and it is still making money. And then look at the down-the-stretch numbers here, right? Right at the same point of release... Right, look at that sixth Thursday, right? By the sixth Thursday of its release, Super Mario Brothers was below a million dollars a day. I don't think Barbie has gone below a million dollars yet in its release. Yeah, going going back 
So far, it has not hit less than a million dollars. So it, it's still making a lot of money, right? So it's already beating the first, again, the Friday, the weekend numbers are not too different, at least at this point, as far as individual numbers there. But because its weekday performances are still stronger, you're looking at this movie maybe getting its first sub-million-dollar sub day this coming week. And again, this would have been the week that you're starting to see a film like Mario leave theaters. You're probably going to see this film leg it out a little bit more. And a great way to be able to show that is actually comparing this to a film last year that came out last year in Top Gun Maverick. So that's the big question that some people have is, is it going to be able to pass those numbers? So internationally, yes, internationally, Barbie will make more money, right? So right now, Barbie is accounting for $746 million internationally. Top Gun Maverick hit $756 million. So that is absolutely going to be something, especially since it's opened in over 70 markets still. Barbie is going to overtake that maybe even by this weekend. Domestically, though, that is going to be the big question mark, right? And some would look at that number and say, wait a minute, Barbie only has $600 million only, right? Obviously, that's, you know, it's a lot of money this, this year especially, right? $600 million, whereas Top Gun Maverick ended its run over the summer at $718 million. So that's still $100 plus million that it needs to make. Are you saying that's going to make another $100 million? I'm saying it's possible. I'm saying that it's a possibility. And one thing that can really tell us that, and I've actually not looked at these numbers beforehand, but again, we'll see if the narrative is actually going to be told. And it's looking at these down the stretch numbers. Now, up until about this week, you were actually seeing some pretty comparable numbers in those day-to-day performances, right? So talking going to the fourth and fifth week. But what's interesting here is that, okay, you're starting to now see Top Gun Maverick pull out a little bit, right? Pull ahead a little bit, I should say. So six Monday, 1.4 million to $6.3 million, 4.4 to 1.1, 1.4 to 3. So it's looking like Barbie is slowing down. All right, so based on these numbers, I can now say Barbie is slowing down enough to where it likely will not happen. Again, possible, sure, probable, not likely. And I base that off of this, right? Maverick is doubling, right? Maverick is almost doubling, and in some days and on some occasions, on some days, tripling what right now Barbie is making on its daily performance. And so what that means is that whereas at this point in release, right, 601 million versus 586, sure, Maverick is still behind if you take, again, the seventh Friday and compare it to the total that Maverick had by its seventh Friday. But if you look at, again, how much more money per day down the stretch Maverick was making to what is now being made by Barbie, it's, it's catching up. Like, by the end of this weekend, in fact, let's see, by the seventh Sunday, let's see, uh, Maverick was at 597. So it will still be ahead, but where it's really going to start to pull ahead is going to be next week because look at these weekly numbers, right? These daily numbers, two-plus million dollars, right? We're probably going to see Barbie drop below a million for the first time. Again, not guaranteed, but likely going to happen. And so because of that, we're going to see likely by the end of next weekend you know, Maverick pull ahead or at the very least pull even. And so that's why I think you're going to start to see this incremental slowing down of Barbie. You're still seeing it where it could get to 650, could maybe even get to like 675. But because it's slowing down as much as it is in those daily numbers, again, it was performing very well, had a stronger weekend, stronger opening weekend, strong daily comparisons between them. But it looks like by about the third to fourth week, you start to see Maverick pull ahead. And now it's just, it's almost complete dominance, right? There's not a single day. Uh, let's say the last day Barbie's single day numbers beat Mavericks was its fourth Tuesday. So yeah, going to the fourth week is when it started to shift. 
and when Maverick, and likely you could definitely say, well, you know, Maverick had the summertime audience to to be able to have more people available on those days. Yeah, absolutely. But it's starting to make up a lot of ground here, right? It's starting to make up a lot of ground. So what does that all mean? It means, all right, we are going to be seeing some pretty good numbers, right? Even though it's not likely going to beat the numbers for uh, Top Gun Maverick, at the very least domestically, Sorry about that. I'm actually making a set of Star Wars He Specialized for the birthday boy, Mr. Kadish himself. Um, and I have my sound turned off, but apparently the system and the, the program that I'm using is able to somehow get past that, if you heard the little jingle in the background. But anyway, the one thing, though, that Barbie potentially has that could, at the very least, have the total worldwide numbers be something that Top Gun Maverick might lose to is internationally, right? Because let's say that this movie, right, Barbie is slowing down to a point where it probably won't get to Top Gun Maverick's, right, it's probably not going to get to Top Gun Maverick's uh, domestic total. But because it is going to get to and it is going to surpass the, the international numbers, you actually still have the potential for it to catch and even pass Maverick worldwide. So basically what I'm saying is the domestic battle seems to be done. The domestic battle seems to be it's going to be Maverick that's going to walk away the champion at the end of the day between those two. Internationally, though, Barbie's going to take the win. And how big that win is will determine ultimately whether or not Barbie is going to end up being the bigger of the two films. Now, that may not matter to a whole lot of people, but for those that care about good movies, um, <laughs> it's just it's a very sad state when a movie like Top Gun Maverick makes less money than a movie like Barbie. Just saying. Anyway, let's go ahead and get back into the chat. Uh, let's see. King Ken Rumsky over on Rumble says, did you just bet Jeremy that Barbie would beat Mario? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> that is not at all what has happened. Um, but you know what? I, I probably should have. But here's the thing. I did not think either film was going to make a billion dollars. Right? Uh, the Mario film was based off of historical data. And the, the Barbie film was because I was like, look, I'm not saying it's not going to do well because clearly I know that there's going to be people that are going to show up for it, but did I think it was going to do this well? Absolutely not. Definitely missed that one too. All right, let's see. Miss Minnesota Haka fan, how about a Haka player? Taylor Swift should have played Barbie in the Barbie movie. She would have fit. J.S. Pena says, ahoy, ahoy to you. BMG2040 says, Millie Vanilli sound exactly like their records live. Nice. Good to know. General Wingster, Odin should dress up like Odin and yell at his students at the theater. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably would not be a good idea. Master of Gaming, thank you very much for being a member, or rather joining and becoming a citizen of Asgard. Appreciate you becoming a channel member. Let's see. General Wingster. General Wingster. Mr. Rumsky, we need that money shot from J. Loss, sir. Good grief, General Wingster. Good grief. By the way, to the 44 people watching, thank you so much for joining tonight. Smash that like button, please. Whatever it is that you're watching, smash it. Share the stream out with your friends as well. So that way we can get a little bit more attention on this news. Magnus Magnuson, what is going on? Welcome back. Yeah, $1.5 billion would indeed put Barbie ahead of Top Gun Maverick. Marshall J2, member says, do you really believe Snow White is going to flop because Rachel Zegler's backlash? I have a feeling probably will make Little Mermaid box office numbers. Yeah, so Marshall J, I've not really said, at least I don't remember saying one way or the other, what I thought the overall box office for Snow White was going to be. What I do think is that if you look at 
the numbers that have come in for a film like Little Mermaid live action. Because the film costs as much as it did, it's a flop. Had that movie cost half of what it did, it, it actually would have been made it would have made money, it would have been profitable. It was up until this point. And I think by the end of the year, we'll still be one of the best performing domestic releases of this year. That's still not saying a whole lot about it, but hey, credit where credit is due, right? So there's clearly going to be a market of people that are going to go out to support a film like Snow White, who are going to be people that either agree with Rachel Zegler and want to go see it because of her, people who are blind to all this culture war stuff, and so all they see is Snow White and Disney, and they think, oh, I'm going to have to go see that. Right, these are the same people that don't see the very clear messaging that have been in all of their live action films of recent uh, memory. Again, I, I still go back to Cinderella being probably their best live action adaptation up until this point. It, it still holds up in a lot of ways. So I, I think that because of that, you're right. I think that Little Mermaid is probably going to be, if I had to guess, I would say probably it's going to be a peak probably going to be a a highest possibility for Snow White. But the ultimate issue for Snow White is going to be the fact that they spent all that money on Little Mermaid. You know they're spending that much money and have spent that much money or close to it on Snow White. And if you're looking at that as your ceiling, which would be what... It's been a while since I've looked at the, the Little Mermaid numbers. So let me see if I can actually just pull those up real quick just to give us a bit of a of a metric on that. Let's see, Little Mermaid live action made $561 million. So as I said, I think that that is definitely going to be something that it's going to be interesting to watch because I honestly, in this market especially, Little Mermaid doing as well as it did had no right to do that well and yet it performed a lot better down the stretch than any of us would have thought. I think that has become kind of now the standard for a lot of these a lot of these movies, a lot of these films that seem to be geared towards certain demographics or at least seem to have a very specific audience in mind. I look for instance at Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, right? It's not making money, it's not going to make its money back. But if you look at its dailies, if you look at the percentage drop from from day to day, from week to week, the drops are not terrible. The the drops are not catastrophic for that film. So clearly there is an audience that's showing up and that is going to see it multiple times. For Little Mermaid, we saw a similar thing. Right down the stretch, the holds actually were not terrible. But because its opening was nothing like what it you know should have been, and because it wasn't making much anywhere else, it, it ultimately was not going to be enough. So I think that Snow White will probably end up seeing something uh, very similar, if I had to guess. I think that it's going to be interesting to watch. It is going to be something that... I don't know if it's going to be necessarily something that's going to either make or break Disney, but Disney is a hurting right now. It's hurting real bad. And it needs to start getting some wins under its belt. And it's just not looking like it's going to get any of those wins. It just doesn't look like anything is going to really help provide those, those theatrical wins that it needs. So, so desperately <laughs> master of gaming was a member says, uh, Taylor Swift's concert pre-sales are beating The Force Awakens and Spider-Man No Way Home unadjusted for inflation. And again, that is a huge factor for one, that adjustment for inflation. It is very, very important. You can never over, uh, you can never look past that, right? 
But since you did bring it up, I'll go ahead and, and pull that story up as well. So that is, of course, it's unfortunate that I have to talk about it, but it is box office news. So from Billboard, how Taylor Swift ditched dealing with Hollywood studios to release the Eras Tour film with AMC. Yeah. And there are some reports that the theaters, or rather the studios, are ticked. Are ticked off at AMC, are ticked off at everyone involved. And again, I can understand why. But this is still pretty big news, right? So first, Thursday's announcement that AMC Theaters is partnering with Taylor Swift to present the Eras Tour in thousands of North American cinemas. Okay, so that's different than the initial news I heard. Starting October 13th was a blockbuster, both in terms of cultural impact and ticket sales which broke AMC's record for single-day advance revenue with $26 million in the first 24 hours. And according to a new report at Puck, the unorthodox deal that bypasses traditional studios and instead released the film directly in cinemas with AMC, acting as a distributor, came about only after discussions with traditional distributors, including Universal, broke down. Now, that makes me happy, especially with all the crap that's being pulled by both studios and writers and actors. I don't think there's a good good side in any of it. I don't support any of the major players in those disputes because in my view, it's all about a bunch of rich people fighting for more money. Obviously, it does impact the people down the line who are the day players. But again, at the same time, I recognize that when the deals end, the rich are just going to get richer. And <laughs> it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm over it at this point, right? So the fact that the theaters, which again, also multinational multi-million plus million dollar you know corporation amc at the same time hey hollywood is the bigger bad guy in this scenario so hey kudos to amc for showing a bit of a spine here i hope it doesn't end up you know biting it in in the tail but hey if if this is shown to be as successful as it is and if they are somehow able to make deals with other artists or other you know uh, film artists specifically like outside of the music space, oh boy, that again starts to change the game a little bit. Anyway, it goes on here. The story claims that the talks to AMC theaters began more than three months ago, while Swift was already in the midst of her Smash Eras tour in the United States and before the concert film was shot at some of the Los Angeles shows in August. After AMC CEO Adam Aaron received a call from a friend who also happened to know Swift's father, Scott Swift, the team Swift was interested in talking. That is very interesting. Citing sources, the report says that Aaron personally negotiated the deal directly with Swift's parents, Scott and Andrea Swift, over over several weeks. I did not know. Are are her parents her managers? That would be one of the few times where that actually works somehow, because anytime a parent is involved in that, typically it doesn't work out well for the child. Among the agreed upon terms is that 43% of the gross will remain with the theaters, while the remaining 57% will be shared in an undetermined split by the Swifts and AMC. Oh, boy. Wow. It goes on to say, Variance Films, a small sub-distributor, was reportedly hired to book the film in Regal, Cinemark, and other theaters on a fee-for-fee basis. So, yeah. So, the reason why we're seeing such huge numbers here is because AMC has the exclusive rights, but they are working with a small co-distributor so that it will be available in other in other theater chains. But they're not going to get this sweetheart deal. Let me, again... <laughs> Hey, you know what? AMC has been been in a lot of dire straits here for a long time. Right? AMC has been sh- struggling. Kudos to you, Aaron, because to me, this is just wow. So again, Aaron 
the CEO of, of AMC made a deal. And again, this is according to Puck. I don't know a whole lot about Puck. I don't know the validity of this, but it sure is fascinating if it's true. So AMC is going to get 43% of the tickets. So I've talked about this a lot, right, in, in box office, right? When you talk about the relationship between studios and theaters, typically the studios are the ones who get the huge, giant chunk of the box office, especially early on in the early goings. By the end of it, right, I think that it is uh, Valiant Renegade. Shout out to him. He says that now because of streaming, the deals have changed so that it's probably closer to 50-50 split, roughly, between theaters and studios. And if I'm misrepresenting what he says there, I apologize. I'm obviously, I always am willing to be stand to be corrected on that, especially if I'm saying what I think are other per person's words. I've always used the 60-40 metric that studios still get about 60%, theaters get about 40%. But this is an amazing deal. So what this is saying is that AMC gets 43% of the gross just flat out. So if it makes $100 million, they get $43 million, guaranteed. And then of the 57% left, there will be a split. So that means that ultimately by the end of it, AMC is going to get probably north of 50% of the box office on this. And if it's already sold $26 million in just one day, granted, I do think, and this is where I kind of go back a bit, I do think that that number is slightly bloated because... This is a music concert that was filmed. So when we talk about these music fans, what do we see in the music industry today? You also see this in wrestling. You don't see this as much as you do now in the theaters, right? You used to see this to a certain degree. Like when, when the MCU was at its peak, when those tickets went on sale, boy, they started flying, right? Not really anymore. It really hasn't been as big of a factor, right? But in music, right, when those concert tickets go on sale, what happens? They get them immediately. When wrestling tickets go on sale, they go on pretty, they, they go pretty immediately, right? They go very quickly. So I think that that's what's kind of going on here is that it was announced clearly in this deal. Uh, you would have had, you know, because she probably wants to make money, right? Taylor Swift herself promoting this out, right? The, the Swift team promoting this out as well. And so they would have let a lot of people know, hey, you know, this is when tickets are going to go on sale and boom, what happens? They buy up a lot of tickets. Now, I don't think they're going to hold up that momentum. I don't think they're going to be seeing $26 million every single day. I think it's, okay, the big hardcore fans, they bought their tickets right away. And then you're going to see, you know, obviously you're still going to see sales, but whatever you would see more likely happen in a music scenario is probably what you'll happen here. A lot of tickets sold up front and then a lot less down the line. Still a lot though. Still a lot of money. But uh, yeah, man. Kudos to AMC, though. If those numbers are legit, again, if those numbers are actually legitimate, they are going to be making a ton of money. They are going to be making bank off of that deal. And that's good for AMC. Sherry Allen, what's going on? Welcome back. Let's see. Marshall J, back in the chat now, 735 in the chat. You know they're going to re-release Barbie on September 22nd in IMAX theaters for one week. Deadline and Hollywood have reported. Yes, I, I have heard that. The thing is, is that the movie has already made so much and the movie has already been seen so many times. I know, for instance, there's someone in my comment section all the time who is a huge Barbenheimer um, fan and like literally obsessed, has seen both of the films multiple times, has done the Barbenheimer multiple times, which... 
to me, I'm like, look, even if I like the movies, that would still be a bit much. That's <laughs> as far as time commitment and, and financial commitment. So, but I, I know from that though, that uh, for the person who saw it, that she was very clear that, the, that she was getting ready for her last time to see it. So I think that the people who have seen it multiple times have already seen it. So you might get some of them that will go see it again in IMAX. I don't think you're going to get a lot of people that have not seen it yet that are going to be saying, oh, I've been waiting for it to come back in IMAX. It's not really an IMAX movie. It's not really an IMAX theater-going experience movie. It's not like a, you know, I would say Oppenheimer, but even Oppenheimer is not nearly as IMAX-y as some of the other films that have been done by Nolan. But uh, Mission Impossible 7, for instance, I think would make a better IMAX experience because of as it being an action film versus what Barbie is. Still, that's going to raise the average ticket price, and so it's going to make a little bit more than it would have otherwise, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as much. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see, though. Great Wuda, what's going on? Says, hail, just finished watching Eagle Elijah 3. I give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, it's a solid movie. Again, nothing revolutionary. It's not, you know, rewriting anything. (laughs) It's not not changing the, the game, but it's solid. It's just an enjoyable film. Let's see. Over on Rumble, Kinkan Rumshki put LOL towards General Winkster over on YouTube. Uh, Shen Hong, what is going on? Welcome back to Rumble. Appreciate you being there. Again, if you have a comment or question, just put at Odin at the very beginning of your comment, at Odin. Let's me know that you're trying to get my attention. And it is very much appreciated. General Winkster, great Wooda, don't let Odin see that opinion. Oh boy. Do you mean the 7 out of 10? That's a solid score right there. That means that it's a solid movie, a 7 out of 10. Again, I would be closer to an 8, 8.5, maybe even 9. I think ultimately, oh, I'm sorry, River. River's at my feet, and I accidentally didn't kick her, but, you know, almost stepped on her. I'm sorry, girl. But that's what happens when you lay at my feet. You, you could be sitting in the and <laughs> laying in the chair behind me, but you choose to be there. She likes to be in enclosed spaces. I think anyone who has an animal knows that sometimes that's that's kind of what they fall into a bit. Um... But yeah, so that sounds great. Let's see. Master of Gaming. His member says, do you think the Expendables 4 will flop like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Well, again, Mission Impossible 1 costs a heck of a lot more. I haven't even seen a potential uh, budget for, for that movie. I really don't care for Expendables 4. And I honestly, I kind of want it to fail because it's just not a franchise. It's not made for me. Right? It's just not a franchise I have any real interest in. Other than the fact that it's got... <laughs> I'm glad to have another film that I can make fun of as far as titles are concerned. So y'all, y'all remember there was the Fantastic Four film that came out, right? And it was Fanforstic because that's how it was spelled. Uh, Expendables. That's that's what I'm calling this movie. Expendables. Let's see if there is a budget yet. A hundred million dollars, right? So, uh, hmm, the 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 trailers that I have seen, that is a waste of money if they spent a hundred million dollars on that. Because there's one sequence that one of the actors is so clearly in like a green screen environment or something like that. Oh, goodness. Um, but I'm only looking forward to this because I will get to say Expendables. And it is just hilarious to make fun of really poorly titled uh, poorly t- titled films. So, hey, if if you've been enjoying the Expendables franchise, hey, more power to you. Right? More power to you. They've just not been my jam. I thought the first one was fun. The second one, I'm like, okay, I see what you did there, but okay, I'm kind of done with this. And then I just kept going. And I'm like, okay, really, honestly, let's just stop. Let's just stop here, please. Um, 
they got great people. And the fact that Tony Jaw's in this, hey, I like Tony Jaw. I think Tony Jaw is very uh, is very talented. Uh, Iko Yue is also fantastic as well. The Raid, right? There's a lot of very good, talented people in here. I just don't really trust the people behind it. I mean, I, I love me Sylvester Stallone, but interestingly enough, he's not listed as a producer here. And again, this is IMDb's. Uh, sorry, this is uh, this is Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt. But Jason Statham's listed as a producer. So if 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 this was a film that was being directed by and written by Sylvester Stallone, it might have some potential. But it's being written by people who I I have no idea who they are. Um, again, American Screenwriting Award. Okay. It just says American screenwriter, so not even a, a big movie name that they're going to put next to that person. So, yeah, it's got a really great cast. I just have no no confidence in it. But $100 million, so that means that it's going to make roughly $250 million to $300 million to break even. So comparing it to Dead Reckoning, I think it's just not even close because Dead Reckoning costs $290 million. I don't think that Expendables is going to make as much. I think there's no way Expendables makes as much as Dead Reckoning did. Um, however, it does not it does not need to make as much as Dead Reckoning did. So, see, General Wingster says Blue Beetle had better drops than Odin's French Shelf. <laughs> I see what you did there. You leave my shelf alone, Marshall J. Two. The reason they're gonna get a re-release Barbie because it's supposed to have extra footage, so it might beat Top Gun Maverick that way. Yeah. So, as I was saying, I think that even without even without the IMAX re-release, I think it was already going to be a, a possibility, but not because of the domestic. Uh, again, the domestic is important. It still needs to be making a lot domestically, but right now, the way it's pacing, I just do not see it having the energy to get past the $718 million that was made by Maverick domestically. Internationally, is a very different story. It is already on track to, probably by this weekend, pass the international for Top Gun Maverick, and it's still making money after that too. So if it makes enough domestically, because I still think it's it's at 600, so 650, 675 is still definitely on the table. But if it's then able to make just that much more internationally, which it's already going to be on track to do, that's why worldwide it could definitely it definitely has a good chance. I I would say that it's probably got a 60 70% chance of beating Top Gun Maverick worldwide. I would say probably only about a 20 to 30% chance that it beats it domestically specifically. It's the international number that's going to be pushing that over the edge if I had to guess. But yeah, some people might get drawn out by by the extra footage in Barbie. So that's why I think that it probably will help it. I just don't see how much it does. When you have those types of down-the-line releases where you're re-releasing it in certain formats, it does not always have the kind of bump that I think some expect it to. Let's see. King Kane Rumsky over on Rumble tagged to say, Do you foresee Swift Marvel's double features ahead? Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, I mean, well, isn't the Marvels, isn't the Marvels still set to be released in November? So I guess it would still need to, it would still need to be in theaters. And it would still need to be on people's minds. Yeah, November 10th is the domestic release. And then it's releasing in Hong Kong, Italy, Australia, Mexico, New Zealand, all on the 9th. Let's see, Brazil, France, Germany on the 10th. 
Japan on the 10th, so it's actually getting a... Uh, Japan, for once, is going to get close to a day-and-date release, according to the numbers.com, at least. South Africa, Spain, Turkey, also the 10th, United Kingdom on the 10th. So it's going to be getting a release, the Marvels, in most of the major international markets in its opening weekend. So that actually will be a good thing for, for someone like me because it means we'll know very early on <laughs> whether or not it's going to be able to. So the, the issue why I don't think necessarily that's going to happen because it's not getting released until around November 10th is that going back to what exactly is the Taylor Swift film, it, it's a concert, right? It's a concert that was filmed. So you're going to have a lot of people show up opening night because they're going to treat it like a concert. You're going to have a lot of people show up opening weekend because it is still also a movie. And so it gives some people that leeway to not have to see it opening night. And then I think you're going to see a pretty massive drop off by week two because it's not a movie, right? It's not a general narrative film that people are going to be talking about to say, go see. If you're going to see the film, you're going to see it opening weekend because you are you have to be a fan. You have to be a fan or a mega fan to have any interest in it. So it's going to make a lot of money up front. And then it's going to make a lot less the second weekend. That's just based on what I have seen happen in the past with films like this or of a similar vein. That I think is what's going to happen. It just makes sense too, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's going to be treated like a concert. Okay, do you go to a concert on the on the fourth, fifth day? You don't have concerts that go and run like that, right? So you're going to see a lot of people up front, not as many people down the line, but it's still going to make a lot of money on that opening day. So because of that, I don't think it's still going to be in theaters by the time the Marvel Marvels comes out. So I don't think you're going to have even a chance to do the double feature for that reason. So hopefully that makes sense. Going back over to YouTube, we got JS Pena, who tried to say, I just noticed that a lot of DC movies are free on Amazon Prime Video. I don't know if it's because Warner Brothers is desperate or they just like doing something. Yeah. Um... That is interesting. I have not really noticed that. I, I mean, that that's kind of bizarre to me. My guess is that I would have to ask what era of the DC universe are those films for free on? Is Are we talking here about, first off, animated content? I think a lot of that's still on HBO Max. Again, I know it's just Max now, but HBO Max just sounds better. Seriously, screw you, Warner Brothers. That was the dumbest marketing decision that you possibly could have made. Um so I would ask that if it's animated or live action and then of the live action, if it's an older content, right, then the other thing too to keep in mind is in today's world, you actually have the chance to have movies appear on multiple platforms at the same time. And basically what they do is they, they will sell the rights to it. They'll, the person buying the rights will have a lot less money to spend or will have to spend a lot less money because you buy for exclusivity. You spend more money for exclusivity, right? So Warner Brothers is probably like, look, we need to keep it on our platform because we need to make sure the content's there to keep people on. But we also do want to make a little bit of cash. And so let's at least sell, you know, partial rights to this film for it to be on multiple platforms. So if there's any films on Prime for free, it either likely is going to be one of two things. One, it's going to be on both platforms. So they made a little bit of cash on it but they still have it on their own platform or two. It likely is an older film. If I had to guess without looking at it, that's what I would have to guess. See Kevin Wang trying to say, can Barbie pass avatar way of water in the domestic box office? Um, let's see. As you all know, I hate avatar with a fiery passion. I think it's one of the worst franchises to ever exist. And it is honestly just, you know, 
disgusted me that it's made money. Uh, but yeah, so $684 million is what Avatar The Way of Water made. It's possible. As I said, 650 to 675 sounds more likely for the Barbie's domestic run. But, but who knows? Wouldn't it be hilarious if the IMAX weekend ends up being bigger than anticipated and ends up pushing it uh, even more over the edge? I guess we can do a quick comparison to see if it's even possible, you know, mathematically speaking at least. Let me see if I can pull this up on my end. So it doesn't even give it as an option. Because again, who would have thought that Barbie and Avatar Way of Water or any Avatar film would be having a domestic showdown? All right. We'll go ahead and pull this up for everyone to see. So again, Kevin Wang asked the question. So first off, the budget. Oh, <laughs> just oh, the flashbacks of Avatar. I haven't talked about it in so long. I, I mentioned it actually... This uh, this morning on the Saltiner podcast, we were asked a question by someone who was super chatting to support uh, Mr. Cage's birthday, and he asked the question of favorite movie, uh, favorites, guilty pleasure, and your movie that you love to hate. So my love to hate movie was Avatar, <laughs> just the whole franchise, because I hate it and I love to hate it. it it's pretty, should be pretty clear. So Avatar Wave Water made 684 roughly domestically. Right now, Barbie's at 601. Uh, Barbie actually domestically had a stronger opening weekend. That's actually interesting. I did not expect that. Um, but look at the second Monday. <laughs> so this is where Avatar takes a lead in the head-to-head challenge, doubling that of, of Barbie. And let's see, down the stretch even further. Let's see, sixth Wednesday, 1.4 1.4. to 2.5. Yeah. Um, So at the same point of release, uh, Avatar was at 6.08. Right now, Barbie's at 6.01. And I'm sorry, I... Yeah, I don't just... I really don't see Barbie making as much as it did this week. Because let's see, that's about 8. That's about 11.5. That's about... I'd put it at 15. $16 million. And what is Barbie expected to make this weekend? So first off, $42 million is what is expected for Equalizer 3 at the, um, I believe that is going to be the four-day numbers there, right? Yeah, 42 to 43.5 is the four-day projection for that film. 35.5 to 36.5 on the three-day total. So we get very strong numbers there for Equalizer in that capa- in that capacity. Let's see if Tony over at Deadline has any word on Barbie. So they're, they're expecting a 10 million three-day and a 13 million four-day. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I, the reason why I did that was because comparing the numbers between Barbie and Avatar, Avatar will have had a stronger uh, seventh weekend, essentially. And because of that, we are going to see it continue to pull ahead. And I, yeah, looking at these numbers, I don't think we're going to see it do 5.4. I don't think we're going to see Barbie do 5.4 million on that day. Now, it did start to drop under a million dollars by its eighth week, right? But we also think that Barbie is going to start to hit under a million dollars this week. So again, who's to say that that that, that number, right? That, that, that IMAX number that it's going to get could end up giving it a boost. Maybe it puts it back on the map a little bit, but as of right now, I would say no. I don't think it's possible. 
or I don't think it's probable, I should say. Better better word. I don't think it's a probability. I don't think it's probable that it's going to beat Avatar. Obviously, it's mathematically possible, but I don't think it's probable. All right. Let's see. Gump3PO, great name. I received my Edge of Tomorrow Blu-ray. Thank you very much. You're welcome, bro. You're welcome. Don't call it a DVD. It was it was a 4K. It's 4K, and I think it may have come with a Blu-ray copy as well. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Grove, Grove 3, Gump, Gump 3PO. Again, congratulations on winning it. Nick Brown, uh, do you think the success of Barbie movie has taught filmmakers to hide their woke messaging from the initial marketing campaign? I think what it's actually shown is that, you know, if you make movies that are from female-centered IPs marketed towards females, that you have a pretty good chance of, of winning. That, that's what I think that it, it, it taught. I think that's the lesson to take away from it. Um, because anything, anytime you talk about Hollywood and these studios and woke messaging, woke marketing, they're not going to get it. They're not ever going to get it, right? Remember, these are the same people that are losing money on massive franchises because they're trying to push the messaging in the wrong way, right? When you try to do, if you did what you did in Barbie and you tried it in the MCU, as we have seen, right? Or you, if you tried it in, you know, traditionally male-dominated franchises, guess what? It gets rejected, right? The whole concept of go woke, go broke, the reason why it was so correct so many times is because it depends on where it's actually being directed. Because when it comes to who is more likely to to see through the messaging and, and who is more likely to perceive forced messaging... Men are much more likely. And you want to know, it's always like, well, yo, you can't say that. There's no proof that Barbie is my proof. There are still people to this day that are trying to argue that either one, Barbie has a good message. Or two, that there is no messaging or that the messaging isn't that bad or that the messaging isn't that blatant. And it's like, bro, you can enjoy any film you want. You cannot deny reality. And again, I think that that's what they're probably going to take. That's what they should be taking from this is, okay, when we make Barbie 2, we can have the same kind of messaging, but we just to make sure that we're marketed in the same way. We've got enough of the pink stuff. We've got enough of uh, of the girly moments that that you know women can enjoy, things like that. Because then it doesn't matter what we say. It's, it's going to either go over their heads or they're going to actually even uh, believe it or support it, right? So, yeah. Because when it comes to Hollywood learning things, they don't. Jenna Wingster, Odie Kicks Dog confirmed. You took me out of context. I don't appreciate that. Justin C. Tried to say, Hail, do you plan on seeing or doing a review of A Haunting in Venice? I've enjoyed the Kenneth Branagh-led Poirot film so far and hope it'll be a good time. Uh, so, yeah, the Kenneth Branagh Poirot film. So, the first film was okay. The first film was so much better than I thought it was going to be. The second film, haven't there only been two? This is the third. The second film was trash. The second film was laughably bad. I remember being in the theater laughing and it was not because I thought it was funny. I thought, Oh, that was wait. What did you just do there? What? Oh, so I mean, I like Kenneth Branagh, but the second film just was not, not there. Now the marketing for haunting in Venice has been really good. I hate horror films. So it, it, it's one of those weird things. It's like a cognitive dissonance for me because I see Kenneth Branagh and I know he's playing the Poirot character, but I'm used to it being the murder mystery, not it being a ghost story slash demonic whatever that is that they're going to be doing with with the actual. Uh, again, I have not read the book, so I cannot speak to that. So you might know more about it than I do. But when I look at that, I think, 
okay, this is not, I'm not a part of the audience that this film is trying to market it to, right? This film, let's just be honest, it's not being marketed to the older demographics that have supported the previous films. This film is being marketed to the younger audiences. And you know what? Kudos to them because that is how in today's market you make more money. The younger audiences and the younger demographics, they're the ones that are showing up to the theater. The older demographics are a lot whole, a lot harder to motivate to go. That's why we're seeing a lot of films with those older demographics in mind flopping at the box office almost consistently. And I think that A Haunting in Venice would actually have had a... Uh, a decent chance of flopping, in fact, um, because of the fact that it, traditionally that series is not being marketed towards the younger audiences that are actually showing up, right? One of the reasons why Barbie is such a huge hit is because not only is it appealing to an underrepresented demographic, right, where it's, again, ex- exclusively a franchise for women, <laughs> It's not very common thing you see in, in a lot of franchises these days. It was able to make as much money as it was. It, it drove out specifically Gen Z, Gen Y, right? Gen Z and millennial women. The, 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 the biggest, dem- we, we, I pulled up that demographic breakdown when we were originally covering the film and it was just so clearly like vast portions of that demographic were out seeing. It was like what was it, like the 60s, I think. Like 60% of all the audience for Barbie on its opening weekend was Gen Y. And then Gen Z, so it was Gen Z. And then Gen Y was maybe slightly less. And then Gen X was there, but it was a little bit more. And then once you get into like the Gen X and to the baby boomers, that's when it starts to drop a little bit. I think it was like below 50. Either way, though, pretty dominant. Uh, amongst women, but especially among younger women. So for for them to be with Haunting in Venice, to be going after a younger demographic, I think will actually probably end up helping them out. I think they'll probably end up making more money at the box office this year than they would have had they made one a different story or marketed it in a different way because they could have made it where it seemed like a more a fun you know you know you know the kind of film i'm talking about the typical Poirot movie where you know oh it's the murder mystery but it's also fun and quirky instead they're like no we're going full horror that's the reason why i have no interest in it because i don't like horror films i especially don't like films that are you know presenting demonic influence that kind of thing just not that's just not me that's just not me man that's just not me so even though it's it's being listed as a thriller suspense, it's being promoted as a downright horror film. We, we've, we've seen this kind of marketing tactic before where it's like, even though the movie might be something different and the way in which it's presented might be different, we, we want to get you in the door, basically. Right? We want to get you in the door. So let me see if I can pull up some numbers. Because, yeah, Murder on the Orient Express I actually liked. I actually thought that was good. So let me go ahead and pull these numbers up for y'all so that way y'all can see what I'm seeing. So Murder on the Orient Express Express 2017, this film was a lot better than I thought it had any right to be. And it ended up making 6.4 times its budget. So it actually ended up doing pretty well, box office wise. Death on the Nile, not as much. Again, look at this. Murder on the Orient Express 351 in 2017. 2022, so far enough removed from the pandemic that this film... And again, I go back to this point. Why do you see such a massive shift away from Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile? The older demographics, this is pre-COVID, were going to the theaters on a consistent basis, and they were a 
a very reliable audience for these kinds of movies. Once the pandemic hit, and a lot of those people, right, we're talking the Gen X, uh, baby generation, they bought into a lot of the fear. They bought into a lot of, of the chaos. Guess what? They're not seeing the movies in the same way anymore. And Death of the Nile learned that lesson. They marketed in a very similar fashion. They only made $130 million. So much less. Only 1.4 times its budget. 1.4. So again, they were able to do 6.4 times the budget, $55 million for murder. Death, $90 million. So they ballooned it up quite a bit. But still, you know, it wasn't chump change for murder on the Orient Express. And they only made 1.4 times its budget. So again, this was a flop. I honestly was surprised when they announced that they were making this movie. When I saw the first trailer, I'm like, wait, how are you justifying making this movie? The last movie you did lost money. The last movie that you did was a box office flop. Like You were losing like 50 to $100 million on that last movie. So unless they somehow were able to make some money back on rentals or on streaming or wherever, I don't see how they can justify what they have going on with the haunting in Venice. And as of right now, there is no, there's nothing listed there. Let me go ahead and do a quick, a quick search again. We like to do things live here over at OMB reviews. Let's see if there is a reported budget. There is not, but we can gather from the previous films in this franchise that you're looking at between a 55 and $90 million budget. But the only thing that can help them, right? So again, Murder and death were marketed in the same way. The audiences, however, that were being marketed to, that older demographic, they showed up to the first one, and it was pretty positive in the reviews for it. Death, on the other hand, they weren't there. They didn't show. They're not a reliable demographic anymore to show up to a movie. Haunting in Venice, why do you think it is? With all that in mind, why do you now think, so hopefully you can kind of see the connection here, why do you now think they, 20th Century Studios, the distributor here, why do you think that they're marketing this film as a horror film? And why do you think that they're releasing this in September and they're trying to make this thing out to be a scary, scary movie? Because they know that is what is going to drive people to go see this. Because they know that this audience that they used to have is no longer reliable. They know that, hey, they can probably bring out a lot of those people because it's a Poirot movie. They're, they're going to see him. They're going to see the Poirot character. They're going to see Kenneth Branagh. They're going to say, oh, it's the Kenneth Branagh film. I don't really like this trailer, but I've liked the other movies, so let me go see it. But now those younger audiences that when they first saw this trailer, you know, when they saw the trailer for Death on the Nile, when they saw the trailer for Murder on the Orc Spence, they were like, I have no interest in this whatsoever. This looks really boring. I have no care. Guess what? Now they're going to have some interest. So, hey, you know what? Good marketing strategy. Let, let's see if it works out for them. All right, it's not a guarantee. Does not mean that they're going to be making money, but I think that that's the best thing that they can really do at this point. Let's see, J.S. Pena tagged to say most. Uh, let's see, Marshall J. retracted some of the messages there. Uh, J.S. Pena says most just live action movies such as V for Vendetta, BVS, Watchmen, Catwoman, Black Adam. Yeah, so that's that just sounds very generic to me. Um, and remember, V for Vendetta and Watchmen and Catwoman are not DCEU movies. I know that you said DC films and not DCEU specific, um, but I can't say I'm that surprised. And I'm pretty sure Black Adam is also available on Max. And so what likely is, is that they licensed the film out, but limited licensing. 
light licensing. Marshall J says, I read I read articles MCU gonna try to copy Barbie's success by marketing the Marvels in a way, hoping a lot of women come out to see the film. Uh, my opinion definitely not gonna work. Yeah, it's not. So whereas a film like Death on the Nile, right, saw massive loss because the audience got impacted, the, the audience that they were gearing towards got the most impacted box office wise, especially by the pandemic and, and really, again, buying into that whole fear stuff. You are not seeing that in the same way with the MCU. And also the MCU is still what a predominantly male franchise. So if you're going to try to go with the whole female empowerment stuff and go similar to Barbie to try to think, Oh, here's the thing. You're not going to see a woman look at the Barbie film or Let's even take it from an IP. If you take a woman who is a huge fan of Barbie and you ask them, do you like the MCU? You are more likely to get an inconsistent answer. What I mean by that is you're more likely to get someone who says, I have no interest or little interest than someone who says, I love both. So you're not going to have that crossover as as high. You're not going to have that rate of crossover between fandoms in that way. And the again, the IPs are different. Barbie's IP and demographic is clearly different than Marvel's. It doesn't matter if the Marvels, Captain Marvel 2, is about a female superhero or is going to be more geared towards that audience. doesn't matter. The general IP is more dominant from and by men. So if they try that marketing, all that they'll end up doing is convincing a few women to come to the film that maybe not otherwise would have had, but convincing a lot more men, oh, now I really have no interest in seeing this. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out for them. I don't think that they're going to see a massive drop. I think that if anything, it evens out and evening out for a film like that is not good. They need as much audience as they can. And I don't think they're going to get it. Let's see. Marshall J too. I'm not a horror fan either, except the classic movies. The exorcist is my favorite horror film of all time. You see that film? No, I, again, is it a well done film? Absolutely. Is it a film? I never want to see again. Yes. It's, it's terrifying. Again, for me, it's a terrifying movie and that's what it's supposed to be. But that's also why I'm hating any and all PG-13 rated R films now. Because almost every single one of them will have a trailer for The Exorcist. What is the sequel being called? Believer, I think. That trailer is creepy as all get out. (laughs) So again, for those that like that, hey, guess what? You're you're probably going to love it. Good for you. But... uh, for me, I'm like, no, 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 no. I have no interest in that. No, thank you. Oh, goodness. Uh, Berg Flicka. Dang, dude. Thank you so very much, man. Berg Flicka coming in, dropping five gifted memberships. Well, thank you so very much, man. That was very, very generous of you. Congratulations to the new members. Great Wuda, Victor Fontaine, Ambrose Chamberpot, Hamilton Berger, Thanos Felicitas. Congratulations, y'all. And thank you again, Berg Flicka, for your very, very generous donation. Enjoy your memberships. Again, with a gifted membership, that means you get to enjoy the perks of that membership level. So check out the member, uh, check out the community tab on YouTube, and you will see, because it does not show what level, it usually has the, the level show up. I don't know why it's not showing up today, but it usually does. Oh, there it is. There we go. Uh, five Army of Asgard members. Oh, boy. Berg Flicka. Awesome, dude. 
So that means you'll get access to the podcast now. And it means that in future videos, obviously not this one since it just happened, uh, in future videos, though, your channel name will be listed in the shoutouts. It's not the verbal shoutouts, but hey, Berg Flicka. Thank you, dude. You're awesome. But yeah, anyway, uh, getting back to the exorcist. Yeah, just creepy. Creepy! No, thank you. J.S. Pena. I thought the reason Death on the Nile lost money is because of the controversy with Army Hammer. Again, I'm sure that impacted some people, but it's one of those things where honestly think and consider how many people are actually aware of that and how it happened. It's similar to me as when we are made aware. Think about Barbie, for instance. I was telling everybody who would listen, hey, this is Greta Gerwig. Don't buy into it. It's going to have political messaging in it. It's going to have uh, woke identity politics stuff in it. And sure enough, it did. And how do I know that? Because I know the work of Greta Gerwig. I've seen her work. I've seen her previous films. And that tells you a lot about that person. That's why when the whole narrative that was being pushed by people who were like, well, it's actually a deeper film than that. And it's actually a satire, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, bro, you're, you're talking out of your, your butt. <laughs> you're just, honestly, I think that some people were kind of grifting on it to try to have a counter opinion. Because if you actually dive into her filmography and you've actually seen any of the previous work that she's done, either as an actor or as a writer, and the, I think the key to understanding Barbie is you got to watch the film Marriage Story. And you shouldn't watch that film, but if you really want to know and understand her and her partner, Marriage Story is going to give you that context. Um, but think about how many of us are aware of that stuff in Barbie, and yet look at how successful Barbie is. Because most people either are not aware of it, don't care, or they enjoy it. Those are pretty much like the three things. Death of the Nile, again, uh, there was probably a lot of people that had heard about it, but as far as the general audience that was for that movie, to say that that's the reason why the film flopped, I think that that to me is a straw man. That or that to me is a uh, that's a scapegoat. That if they were to use that, then the studio would be saying, "Well, the movie only didn't make money because he was in it, and so we've uh, separated from him, and so we're gonna do better." It's like, no. First off, the film wasn't good, so that's a big factor to me. But also, when you have that much difference between your first movie and your second movie. That tells you that there's a little bit more going on uh, with the demographics. So I stand by the previous comment I made on that. Kincaid and Rumsky, over on Rumble, tagged to say, do you plan on seeing doing a review of Meg 2? I've enjoyed Jason Statham-led Expendables films. I hope it'll be a good time. Kincaid and Rumsky, come on, bro. Just let it go, okay? Let it go, let it go. You know, I have no interest in the Meg 2. Kevin Wang, have you ever watched any of the Sky 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 Spy Kids movies? Yes. Yeah, so yes, I've seen, I think three of the Spy Kids movies. The first one, in hindsight, it's still just it's not a good movie. None of the none of them are good. The first one was entertaining. The second film is hilariously bad. The third film I only watched because I was working at a summer camp, and we had a travel week, is what we called it. And it's when it was a sports camp. And so our, the final week, which was like the first week of August, so we wouldn't have as many kids because some would have already been back in school or would have been getting ready for school. And it was all travel. So we would be going to different locations. So we'd be going to a theater. We'd be going to uh, a Chuck E. Cheese, like different places. And so for one of those weeks when that film came out, Spy Kids 3D, oh boy, I remember that movie. 
because we we had to go see it because we were with, we were there with the kids and oh my goodness it was cringe. I remember just the one sequence where there's the girl who you find out isn't real because she's like a computer program or something. But at one point the actress play, <laughs> goes, "He's my boyfriend," and the way that it's delivered is just the funniest thing ever. It was so bad it's funny. <laughs> so yes, I have seen them. <laughs> Let's see. Berg Flicka, thank you very much, man, for being a member, and thank you for those gifted memberships. He says, hi, chat. Hi, OMB. Hope everyone is having a great weekend. I hope that you are having a great weekend as well. And again, congratulations to all of the new members here on the channel. We have a few minutes left. JS Pena says, I don't hope I, I don't have hopes for the new Exorcist. It's directed by David Gordon Green. Yeah, so I actually don't even know a whole lot about David Gordon Green. What I do know is that the movie looks creepy as all get out, so I have no interest. I think it actually will probably make a lot of money. I, I doubt that the budget was that high. At least I, I would assume that that is the case. I don't I don't want to look it up either because I just don't even want to see those faces. I don't want to... Because <laughs> it's creepy. But I would have to imagine it's not too expensive. And it looks like they're going to release that film at a right time. The marketing is is key. It is freaky. And so if you enjoy that kind of stuff, I think that... You'll probably be interested because of the trailers. Tina Guzman, what's going on? Time to say, can you remember me in your prayers? I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Tina. Absolutely. Absolutely will keep you in my prayers. And I, I pray that the rest of the chat does as well. Berflicka says, hope you all enjoy. I'm sure you will. Hey, yeah. Check out the community tab and you'll see what you have access to. The big thing is going to be uh, the podcast and future questions on the podcast. And you will... Again, there there will be, you will be listed at the end of the, should be the next video. I have not been able to record my video yet for September because it takes a while sometimes for the things to process, but I have my list ready. That's one of the reasons also why I was late. I was hoping I could record it right before, but I couldn't. Let's see. Ikthulu, who's a member, says, the Ken cut of Barbie will be a classic. Oh boy. Could you imagine if there was a, the Ken cut, the definitive edition? Uh, Jacob Wiseman, have you watched... Uh, tokusatsu movies like Giver. No, haven't heard of it either. Justin C. Now that Dune 2 has been delayed 2024, are you looking forward to any film in the last months of 2023 that will be good? The Marvels does not count. Well, I'm not looking forward to that film, Justin, so I appreciate the LOL at the end of it. So actually, yeah, there is one. Um, and it's a film that most people probably don't care about. And there's a lot of reasons to have doubts about whether it'll be good. And it's Dumb Money. Uh, it's a film called Dumb Money. It's featuring, I've mentioned this before, I think I mentioned it last stream. Features my man, uh, actor that I really, really enjoy as an actor, Paul freaking Dano. And I have to always say freaking Dano because he's the man. He's the myth. He's the legend. And he's the star of the film. You have a bunch of other actors in the film. I, I'm not a big fan of the fact that Seth Rogen's in it. But Seth Rogen, guess what? He's playing a hedge fund manager. So he's playing one of the bad guys. He's playing one of the snobs. And so you know what? I'm like, I I'm okay with that because I'm already supposed to hate you. It's going to, you know, it, it is going to already be great for me. So that is what I'm looking forward to for this year, for the rest of this year. Um, so again, during the last month of 2023, I'm looking forward to uh, to Dumb Money. I think that is the only film yet to come out that I'm actually looking forward to. Marshall J. By Dune 2 getting delayed, I think it will help the Marvels a little bit. Don't forget, still have those hardcore MC fanboys going to go see it. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? <clears throat> that might be true, but 
Tell tell that to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania Mania Mania. You know, even tell that to the previous filmies, right? You started off with the summer. You started off with the biggest number you can have. Doctor Strange 2 Multiverse of Madness, $950 million. Should have been a billion based on its opening. It Remember that film opened to $450 million worldwide. What has, what has the MCU done since then? It has just been massive loss after massive loss. There was a slight uptick from what memory serves, I believe, a slight uptick with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. But when you recognize the domestic demographics supporting the film, it makes a bit more sense because those demographics were not nearly going to show up in the same way for those other films. But the MCU is not going in a forward track. The the extra shows have not been helping, and if anything, they've probably been hurting. So though I do think the Marvels is going to make more than what it has any right to make, I don't necessarily think that it's going to make that much overall. And I don't think Dune 2 getting... Because, again, you have to ask the question... How much crossover between Dune 2 and the Marvels is there? I don't think they were scheduled for the same weekend initially. So you already have a problem there, but then add to that how much actual crossover and audiences are there. I don't think you're going to have as much as you would you would think. <laughs> that makes sense. Great Wooda says, I'm going to watch Expendables, and I'm interested in the creator. Yeah, I've 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 seen bits and pieces of the promotion for the creator. It looks it looks like it has some potential, but I wouldn't say that it's on it's on any list. Jazz Pena, David Gordon Green did the reason Hall. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. So the director of the Halloween films. Well, those films sucked. The, the last one especially. Oh goodness gracious, goodness gracious, so bad. But you know, but you know what? At least they're they're still marketing very very well this movie. I don't think the Halloween films were marketed too well. Not not as well as this. Again, when you get me freaked out and i'm like i have no interest i don't want to see this and i don't, I don't even want to see the trailer for this Ugh. exactly tina i don't want those images in my head either great wooda says dumb money is this year yeah Benia, i want to see dumb money as well yeah and, and the, the trailer does look good for those that don't know um since since dumb money is being mentioned dumb money is about the um the GameStop stocks or as i like to say because it was the the nomenclature of the time, the GameStop stonks situation. And basically GameStop's, for those that forgot, GameStop's shares, share price at the stock market rose exponentially because of this online community helmed and at least started by this like one guy. And because it rose so much in price, a bunch of these people that started this got rich, but the hedge funds, right? So these multimillionaires that are the bane of the stock market, and honestly, just in many cases, just despicable people, they lost billions of dollars because they were betting against the stock. So essentially what it is is that they, their job is to bet against and actively work against stock. And because regular everyday people tend to own this type of stock, it means that they are devaluing or pushing for the devaluing of uh, of stock, which means 401ks, things like that, are going to see dips in certain markets in certain ways. Obviously, this is an oversimplification in certain ways, but and I'm no financial expert. But the reason why this was so huge is because because it went up and they were betting against that, they lost money. And they lost billions. And when that happens, you know what? That makes me happy. So it's a movie about that. 
Paul Dano is playing the dude that kind of got everything started with the with the Reddit, um, you know, focusing on GameStop. And if I get to see even a fictionalized account of multi-billionaires, millionaires getting uh, losing millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, and one of them gets to be played by Seth Rogen, count me in. Ikthulu, time to say, think you'll enjoy the new Three Musketeers in December too. Yeah, I've heard some things about, I think maybe you even mentioned that one. Could be. Could be. Anyway, uh, Great Wooda, Gordon's alive! Yes, Gordon's alive! Dive! We are at 8.32, so we're a little over time tonight, but I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who watched the stream tonight. It has been a ton of fun. As I mentioned, I do not have my official shout-outs video ready yet, so I, I do apologize for that. Uh, with that being said, I do want to end the stream shouting out my chosen of Valhalla members, as for those that maybe don't know, there have been some changes in the membership levels, and so now the verbal shoutouts are exclusively the right of the Chosen of Valhalla membership level. Um, but if you are at the Keeper of the Bifrost level and above, you still get access to the special giveaways channel on the Discord, officially, unofficially, because of, you know, terms and stuff like that. Let's just say you get access to a special channel with 4Ks and Blu-rays. You can talk to Oratite Reviews, and he can tell you a lot more about it. But uh, Keeper of the Bifrost level across all platforms now, including YouTube. So check out, if you're a Keeper of the Bifrost level and above, check out the community tab because you'll find instructions there on how to get access to that. Um, and if you are a Army of Asgard level and above, your, your name will be listed. So a text shout out will be listed at the end of every live stream after today. So today is just the, is the, is the exception simply because there is just not the time to do so. But again, thank you all, and thank you to all the new members. Shout out to Berg Flick, especially, for gifting those new memberships. But let me go ahead and see. Uh, General Wingster says, who dat? Were you a Saints fan? Orange Review says, have a good night. Have a good night as well. Cthulhu, good night all, and have a wonderful holiday weekend. I, sometimes I keep forgetting that Monday is off for most of us. General Wingster, but Discord is for squares like pants. Discord is the place to be if you want to get in on, on the action. Forever Sci-Fi, good night and God bless. Good night to you as well. But that is going to be it for me tonight. So seriously, thank you all very much. 40 people still watching. You guys are freaking awesome. Um, let me go ahead and shout out my chosen of Valhalla members. So first off, Father Luca Illich. Laura, the modern major general's story. She requested more spirit fingers. And so I must, I must provide more spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. These are not spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. And these are gold. You're welcome, Laura. You're awesome. Rosetta Allen, who can check out her YouTube channel of Eagle Rider. Shout out to Rosetta. Miss Mon Muses, who can check out her channel by the same name as well. We also have on subscribe star Matt317. Check out his check out his Twitch channel by the same name where he does some gaming. Mr. Roy and ZK Man. ZK Man, you can check it over at xtheboundaries.co. So shout out to my chosen of Valhalla members. Seriously. You guys are awesome. Yes, they were jazz hands, Kincaid Rumsky. Don't judge me. Do not judge me, okay? Actually, no, sorry. You're correct. They were spirit fingers. So jazz hands are when hands are shaking. Spear fingers are when it's the, is when it's the fingers shaking or the fingers moving. Anyway, uh, you, you know what I mean. Uh, the thing. C -c -c come on, man. C -c come on, man. It's the same thing. It's slightly different, technically. But shout out again to my Chosen of Valhalla members. You guys have been awesome. 
Have a wonderful rest of your night. I'm going to go have some ice cream and finish making this set of Star Wars Despecialized Editions for Mr. Mathicator. Shout out to him. Happy birthday to him. Also, uh, she has not been around in quite a while, um, but it is on my calendar, so I did want to mention her. But uh, former Valkyrie Steph, uh, former Valkyrie Steph, again, has not been around in the chat for a long time. I don't know if she listens to it at all or if, if anything, if she'll hear it at all, but happy birthday to to the former Valkyrie Steph. Uh, it is it is her birthday, according to my calendar, so shout out to her. And whenever I bring up Steph, I always have to bring up Tina as well. Shout out to Tina. I know that she tries to listen when she can, but anyway, thank y'all both, and shout out again, and happy birthday to Steph, and tomorrow, happy birthday to <laughs> Mr. Kadish. So anyway, you guys are all amazing and beautiful people. Those were the shout outs tonight. Have a wonderful rest of your evening, everybody. And as always, God bless.